Hey everybody, my name is Pej. We come on every single Tuesday, right around noontime. I always have special guests in the recovery world. We talk about anything and everything that's recovery related or lack thereof. Welcome to Pej's Recovery Corner. Four and three and two and one. Welcome to Pej's Recovery Corner. I am here today with the ever so lovely <laughs> Frankie Lucas, a.k.a. Frank Lucas. We all know who the other Frank Lucas was, right? Anyway, it's good to see you, Frankie. Um, we see are, you, too. He says, can't post comments on Facebook profiles. We're going to have to upgrade this whole uh, stream yard thing so that we can actually do this and, and see it uh, live. But anyway, so I wanted to thank you for your, your last-minute guest. Um, I had somebody else scheduled today. Um, he'll be on in a future um, episode, but I I'm just really grateful that you're here today. Um, uh, you're one of my favorite human beings. You may not know this, and it's not because you wear loud shirts, um, but uh, it's my type of loud shirt. But um, there's a few. I'm gonna. We'll get into everything in a second. But first and foremost, I do. You know, I just want you to know how much I love and adore you. You're a good man. You're a true man of recovery. I've known you a few years now. Um, you, where do you reside? I live in uh, Northern Virginia, about six miles outside of uh, Washington, D.C. Okay. Falls Church, Virginia. Falls Church. And um, uh, who is Frankie Lucas? Let, let, let's, let, let's back up. Um, how old are you? I am 33 years old. Born in. Yeah. 33 years young. Okay. Yes. You know, it's funny. These days, I'm 49 years old. These days, like when I talk to somebody and they tell me that they're in their early 30s, I'm like, oh, you ain't in your late 20s anymore. Then I think, look, motherfucker, these people are almost 20 years younger than you now, Pesh. That means your ass is getting old. So, no, it's good. To, okay. So, anyway, I, I, I wanted to uh, – how many years are you sober? Four years. Yeah. October 4th, 2016 is when I finally surrendered and – Decided to quit fighting. Four years. And uh, so what did you used to use and drink? Oh, my God. I mean, there's not really anything that I haven't used or haven't drank. You know, it was a, it was a rough process. I was a, I was a very – I was a raging alcoholic at a young age. You know, I was arrested every year from 14 to 30. Um, when, when did you first start drinking? 12 years old, started drinking heavily at 13 and arrested at 14. And, um, arrested what? Underage possession of alcohol. Okay. And I had almost 10 of those by the time I was 18 years old. Now, if I'm not mistaken, you, you were growing up in, in another part of Virginia, right? Well, it's weird because I, I grew up outside of Boston. Um, okay. My mom went to law school there. She was a police officer before law school. So I had that good structure, but, uh, went through a culture shock at 12 years old and moved from Boston to Blacksburg, Virginia. Um, Blacksburg is a beautiful place, but um, they, it's a college town, you know, uh, right. Virginia, Virginia tech and Radford university close by. So, you know, it's uh didn't really know what to do with myself and started drinking. Okay. So mom was going to law school. She's a police. Officer. He was a former police officer, correct? Not anymore. Not anymore. No. All right. She's retired now? Yeah, I mean, she was a cop for 12 years and then uh, went on to law school. Uh, didn't, up, end up, didn't end up practicing law, but you know, that's the type of structure I had. My dad uh, is a retired police officer. He was a, he was a cop uh, forever, you know. And was, were your parents together, like growing up? No, it was a divorced household. Uh, okay. Divorced household. Lived How with my mom. Divorced? 
Uh, they, it was, I think, you know, I think she, they separated when she was pregnant. So pregnant. my whole life. Yeah. Yeah. So my whole life. Do you have a relationship with your father? Somewhat. It's gotten, uh, you know, better. I think, you know, since I've been sober, mm -hmm. um, there was a lot of, you know, I think, uh, resentment and fear there for me for many years. But when I look back on it and look at my own inventory and my part, it was me as an alcoholic at 15 that really stepped away from the relationship. Um, you know, and, uh, he's been sober longer than I've been alive. So I would reach out to him, you know, when I was drunk and, you know, things like that. And, you know, it was a dysfunctional relationship. Um, mm -hmm. but now, you know, we, we don't live, you know, that close together, but we do, you know, talk and, uh, communicate. You know, yes. So it's, it's beautiful. And as far as where does, where does your mom live now? She's, in Virginia. Listen to this. My mom moved to Mexico, but yeah, she, she moved to Mexico in October and she's going to do six months out of the year there. She's retiring. And, uh, but yeah, this, she's this news to my ears. I know. I mean, wasn't she, she in like in Southern Black, Virginia? Yeah. Blacksburg, you know, she still has her house there, Okay, uh, but her husband passed away in July from, um, from cancer mm -hmm. and she didn't really have any ties there. And, uh, I think because, between the small town and the politics and just, you know, the grief of being in the home. Mm -hmm. She's like, I'm going to Mexico. She did it. She's been going there for about 10 years. Um, I talked to her, you know, a couple times a week and uh, she couldn't be happier, man. And that, uh, that brings me the truest joy to see my mother happy because that's who I hurt the most, man. She wanted me to get sober since I was 14. So uh, seeing her happy and seeing me sober, um, is, is a gift in itself. You know, I have her right here. You know, these are some of the most important things in my life. Mm -hmm. um, so it's so, a beautiful thing. So I want to get into some things about this. This is of great importance. Obviously, you know, we can, we can do a podcast and talk about, you know, things that you've been through and your family's been through. But I, I do want to get to the point where why you stand out to me in the recovery community. And we will, there's, there's a few different reasons because of that. We'll talk about them in a minute. But, you know, obviously you started using and drinking at a very young age, right? Uh, was it drugs or was it just alcohol? Or are you traditionally just an alcohol drinker or were you mixing it with some stuff? Quick breakdown. I was a raging alcoholic at a young age. I quit drinking when I was 18. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't drink from 18 to 25, not a drop. But okay. after I got, you know, after I stopped drinking at 18, I started using other substances, cocaine, opiates, weed was always, you know, always constant. Right. Um, but then, it, you know, the opiates progressed into IV drug use. And that was the, you know, um, the kicker. Um, so you, you were actually shooting dope. I didn't, I don't remember. Maybe. Oh, yeah. I've shot anything and everything, man. Anything okay. there is. Any stuff you're not supposed to shoot, I was shooting. Like what, Benadryl and shit like that? Or what? I mean, like, Xanax, Suboxone, Adderall. I, I got to the Xanax? Yeah, it got to the point where I wasn't even smoking crack anymore. I was, you know, breaking it down with vinegar or lemon juice and shooting it. Okay, so <laughs> is it is it safe to ask or fair fair to ask that were you doing this because there was some some underlying trauma or issues that you had or what was it? I don't know, man. I had people that loved me, you know, but I just really loved to to get high and I loved to drink. And I, I, the lifestyle also, man, the lifestyle is addictive. You know, I was always the, you know, drug dealer. I could get you what you wanted. You know, I was that guy. And that is um addictive, addictive in itself. 
but there is a, a certain type of thrill that people get from from being able to supply others, especially when it comes to being a drug dealer. Is a certain high that comes along with that. I, I say that yeah. personal experience, nothing to be proud of, because in the end, I mean, if you're like to the point where you're you become your best customer, then the, yeah. don't don't get high off your own supply. That's the old saying, yeah. right? And Dude, I- um, yeah, don't get all high off your own supply. I could not figure out for over a decade how to pay a cell phone bill mm-hmm. or to pay like how to pay rent. Like I could not figure it out, you know? Well, that okay, so let me ask you that. This is during your active addiction and, and drinking? Yeah. Well, where were you living? Dude, um, I could never really keep a roof over my head. I was bouncing between houses. There was points, you know, there were several months uh um when I lived in Florida that after um a relationship failed. I was sleeping underneath concrete steps in parking garages or in bathroom bathrooms at uh, the circle K. Okay. Um, I've slept outside in Virginia too, you know, but then when I did have a place, it was mostly couches. You know, I lived on couches for many years. Okay. Were you in any trap houses or anything like that? I mean, I guess by definition, of the, by definition of the word, yes. Okay. I've seen your before and after pictures and they're not pretty. I mean, the, the- <laughs> Not yeah, so that, man. You know, you, you were pretty much. Uh, it was evident that you were not well, right? Yeah. Um, so I mean, this this beautiful smile. I didn't yeah. have that when I got sober. You know, it, I remember there was you did some yeah. some work on your teeth, which which was I mean, one of the joys of recovery. It's beautiful. Now, question for you. So, um, you said that you stopped drinking for a period of time. Why did you stop drinking? I mean, I think to the core, that's my. Uh, my drug of choice, oddly enough, man, you know, um, I mean, I love them all. I love drugs, but alcohol, you know, I knew I was an alcoholic at 15. I related. It started with alcohol. Did it end with alcohol too? Yes. Yeah. Cause I got off the drugs when I was 25 and I was like, well, maybe I can start drinking again, you know? And then I started drinking again and it was right back to hard liquor, bottom shelf, bottle a day, hard liquor, right out of the bottle, right off the bat. And then once once that started, I was like, well. Why would you get off at 25, off the drugs? Because I was homeless in Florida, sleeping outside. Mm-hmm. You know, and I was like, the drugs are the problem, you know. And then I was like, well, I'm not a, a drug addict anymore. Let me drink again, you know. And it's then once the, it, the drugs are the problem. And then as a lot of us know, once we start drinking, uh-huh. all the drugs came back. Right. So, okay, so then you started drinking again. And obviously, if you have four years of sobriety, uh, you got sober at exactly what age? 29. And why on earth did you get sober? What what made you get sober? Where did you go? What did you do? And why? I mean, the why is that I was going to die. You know, straight up, I was, I was going to die. Um, I was broken enough, you know, and uh, I, 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 my brother was, had been sober. He's uh, on my dad's side of the family. He'd been much older than me and he got me up to Northern Virginia um, and always offered that to me. But the tipping point was that, you know, weird corny story is that I had, I had a dog for 12 years, you know, Um, you know, my DOG was the only GOD I knew, you know, and I wasn't going to leave him, but after his cancer and I had to put him down, um, I told my brother, you know, a couple months prior, I said, look, man, when he passes away, I'll begin to live. You know, when he dies, I'll begin to live. And I meant it, you know, I really did want to get sober, but I also selfishly kept that time to continue to use and drink. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I had to, uh, 
you know, walk out of the the vet's office without him, you know, I knew that it was time and I took the action. Um, I got up into a program on a scholarship program. Um, I didn't have a dime to my name. I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have anything, but I had the sincere desire to change and the courage enough to ask for help. You know, I didn't want to put my mother through the same things that my grandfather went through with my grandfather or what my mom went through with her brother or what some of my best friend's mothers have went through with some of my best friends. You know, that was really, you know, I, I do it for myself, man, but also I do it for my mother. So alcoholism and, and, uh, and addiction is a little hereditary within your family, perhaps? Bro, it's, it's on both sides just stacked, you know. Okay. Um, all the men, you know, my mom calls it the Lucas male syndrome. You know, and also on my father's side too, him and my my grandfather on that side. It's just bam, 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 bam. So it's, it's really interesting. When I was going um, to school to studies, um, we would research this stuff and we would try to see if, if alcoholism is actually um, genetic, right? And I remember I had a teacher that said that alcoholism is genetic. He just he would bring up these examples of like people that had a child but they couldn't actually raise the child, and the child was put up for adoption. And later on, when the when the child reunited with his father, he found out that his father was an alcoholic, and the child became a full blown alcoholic too. So, so you know, I don't really know if it's hereditary. I, right. I, I know, I know in my, like we did a genogram and so like I had to go genogram, genogram, however you pronounce that. But like I had to go and do a bunch of research and, and see like um, if addiction was in my, in my bloodline, in my family. Right. And um, it, generationally in my household, it did skip a generation. <clears throat> my grandfather was an opiate addict and that was in, in, uh, in Iran in the old country. I had some cousins and all that, that they all became full blown, um, opium users, heroin addicts, then that was in the old country. And then me over here, uh, I wasn't well. And uh, I had some other cousins that were fine. You know, they were from they were from a different caliber of life, if you will. But but I, you know, obviously it can definitely run through the family too. What's going on in the background? There's like, there's people running around. There's like somebody doing laps. If it was me, I would be crawling, you know, behind yeah. your, your chair. There's, there's wires and stuff. Okay. So, <laughs> Well, with that said, back to you, like, um, you, you know what you came from and, and, you know, go ahead. In a nutshell, I am a raging alcoholic with a crippling drug addiction. Okay. Okay. Very well. All right. Fair enough. With four years of some of the most solid sobriety that I've ever seen in somebody. We're on two different sides of the country. Yeah. And, and let me, I wanted to get into one of the reasons that I wanted you um, here today is because you stand out to me. It's, you know, I, I thought to myself, well, our other guests can't make it today. So who stands out to me? And obviously, um, you know, I scanned my brain real quick and I thought, well, Frank Lucas, obviously, if, he, if he's not working, I'd love to get him on here. Um, I met you, I believe, when you almost had two years of sobriety. Um, I had come back east. Go ahead. Why don't you talk about how we met? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, actually, man, it was uh, it was a cool experience meeting you because uh, I saw God in it. You know, because I was I was uh, working with this nonprofit uh, that I've worked with for several years called Arise and uh, Arise and Flourish. We go into middle schools and high schools in Montgomery County, Maryland, and uh, explain the cycle of addiction. Well, this day I was going to be completely by myself, and I was terrified because it usually takes two people. And, you know, our president, which is your aunt, Miss Betty, I love her dearly, uh, says, okay, you know, I'll send my nephew there. And I'm thinking, 
oh gosh, Betty, who are you sending here to do this? I'm like, you know, I don't know, but it was just kind of one of those things where I was like, trust God, you know, everything's going to be okay, you know? And then you show up and you're you, and it was just like perfect. But it was one of those things of like turning my will over to God and just trusting the process and then seeing the beauty and this flower that's been built in this relationship that we have. I truly just see that from God. You know, our relationship was, uh, was God given and built on, uh, built on faith, man. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing because I had the same sentiment for you as you do for me. And I appreciate that. I, I remember that day, like it was yesterday. I mean, those were the times when you could still walk into a school and go and give a, a talk to the students, uh, without having to worry about, you know, wearing face masks and all the stuff that we've been in, enduring in the last year, with sure. the whole COVID situation. But, um, but here's what was really powerful about that. Like, I was already on the on the West Coast. I was part of a couple of other organizations where we'd go speak in junior high schools and high schools. And, and that kind of started for me when I was three or four years sober. And like, I remember when I was in high school uh, yeah. many months ago, and, and you would have like somebody come through to do a talk for the whole school. And and I would just be sitting there looking at my legs and I had um, weed in my pocket. And I just think like, I don't like, I don't know why this lady's sitting here uh, telling us about how she couldn't do cocaine like a, like a, you know, like a true woman. I, I'm never going to do coke. I'm just, I just want to go smoke weed in the parking lot after I get out. And sure enough, like every motel that she talked about hitting later on in her life, I ended up being in all those motels just a few years later after I uh, graduated late from high school. So uh, in, in going and speaking in high schools here in California, it was like, this was a big deal to me because I, you never know who you can, whose ear you may reach, who you yeah. can actually get through to. And this isn't about going in, in high schools and junior high schools and telling people, don't do drugs. It's not good yeah. for you. But most of these kids are already experimenting or, or have caught wind of somebody that is. And, and there's that curiosity and it become, becomes a phase for some. And then for some, it becomes a full-blown addiction at a very young age, like you or me. Now, I know that um, when, I, when my aunt started the organization in Montgomery County out in Maryland, um, I, I had actually come and spoke on a couple of panels with her before. But when I met you that particular day, um, it, that day stood out to me because we went to school and, and you, watching the way that you spoke to those students, um, you were so fluid. And it, like I never knew what Fortnite was until that day. Yeah. You, you used like lingo that they that would be you know that the kids would pick up on, and that was cool, like really really cool. And um, and you weren't just telling your story, or we weren't just telling our stories, but the way that you broke down the cycle of addiction, it was a, an educational piece, but it wasn't boring. It was because yeah. kids like most kids will check out. Uh, addicts will check out. Like when I was in treatment, I didn't want to hear about, you know, like an educational piece of what addiction it consists of. I need, I need visuals. I need stuff mm-hmm. that entertains my, my mind. And, and the way that you were drawing it on the board, I was just sitting there kind of like, you know, I was enthralled. I was like, this is pretty awesome. Like, this is pretty badass. And to know that you were like one of so many volunteers that had um, been a part of this organization to make it grow was, was enlightening. It was like beautiful. And, and the questions that the kids uh, asked us afterwards, you know, that, you know, I want you to expand a little bit more on, on Arise and Flourish and what have, like, don't worry, like, as far as 
I'll brag for you because I know that you've done extensive work with that particular organization. But what about going to school? Like, I know during that time you weren't able to drive, so you're usually Ubering and you were working a job. And and I, I believe like you're one of the most humble people that I know that was actually giving of himself and with no expectations or recognition. But what were you doing and how many schools did you hit and how many students do you estimate that you uh, were able to reach? Oh man, at this point, I don't know how many schools I've been to or how many kids I've spoken to, honestly. I mean, um, because I was going to, you know, um, a school a week, you know, usually sometimes two. And sometimes we do three to six classes a day with 30 kids in each class, you know. Um, and we would do a rotation of about 40 different schools, middle schools and high schools. And we would do summer classes too. Um, and I don't know, man, it, I, I don't know how many kids I've affected, but um, you touched on a couple, couple good points, you know, as far as like not preaching to them, you know, that's one of the first things I say is like, I'm not here to tell you drugs are bad or don't do drugs. I'm not here to do that. You know, I'm just here to share my experience and explain this cycle of addiction um, to show you the only two ways out of it are, you know, you're going to die or get help and you may not ever need this, may not ever need it. Most of you won't. But if you do, whether it's a year from now, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the road, this cycle is not going to change. Yeah. And you need to remember that to ask help, ask for help or you're going to die. That's the reality of it. And mm -hmm. if we can help one kid in each classroom, you know, that one life saved affects so many people because the trickle effect from an overdose, man, is just unreal. You know, um, you know, friends, family, coworkers, you know, employees, whatever it is, you know, there's so many people that it truly affects. Uh, so if we can save one kid to know that there's help, that's the, the goal is good. You know, right. that the goal is done. So sometimes these kids would write you letters afterwards, correct? Yes. What's, yeah. Do you save the letters? Um, I do have some of them somewhere, actually. And then uh, some of them are in emails. Um, but, yeah, I do have some of them. Uh, of course, Miss Betty sends them to me. If when um, they... They would write you the letters. They obviously would thank you to come because you gave of your time to come down and talk to them. But was there anything that any of the students ever said to you that stood out? Just how much it means to them. You know, I think by talking about it, it helps kids understand it a little better, mostly from the family dynamic. You know, this is a family disease and it affects uh, affects everybody. You know, it hurts the people that love us the most. And that uh, includes the children who are in middle school or high school. Or their friends. Um, so I think by helping them understand, we're also helping the greater good also. Um, you know, and I think that's uh, the biggest thing is that it is it is helping kids, you know. Um, and there's been kids that have said, hey, man, I have a problem. You know, um, yeah. I have I have this issue. Um, and I've, you know, talked to a couple, like couple their, people. Like a personal problem or like a family member or a friend? Or, or the family the family member happens all the time. But uh but then we do get the ones where the kids, you know, say they do have problems themselves. And um, it's good to talk to them and, you know, give them resources if they want it. Just like it doesn't matter what age, you know, you can give some, you know, take a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Right. Um, and that's really what we're doing is just, you know, giving the horse some water. <laughs> Love, it. Love it. Awesome. So uh, with that said, you, you were during that time. Uh, when you got sober, did you go, were you, where were you living? Um, before I got sober? No, when you got sober. Oh. Where did you, where were you residing? Like in I, the, I moved the, into, uh, to an Oxford house, sober living. Um, okay. 
So Oxford house sober livings are quite typical. There's a lot of them on the East Coast. I know that. Mm -hmm. um, up and down the coast, all the way through yeah. New York and, and D.C. and, and all, all throughout those states, the neighboring states, the DMV. Um, yes. What's an Oxford house? What, what kind of sober living is that? What, what, is there a structure? What, I mean, what's it all about? So it's a democratic structure. Um, it's, it's similar. It's not a, you know, um, like a halfway house or, you know, a, a, a men's <laughs> home. No, it's a, it's a house. You know, we, we pay the rent. We pay the rent. Okay. Um, you know, the, the get the people there. Um, it's usually eight, you know, eight people, eight, eight and up, um, depending on how big the house is. Um, you split the rent, you spill the split the bills, uh, you pay your monthly, uh, rent. Um, you know, it's substantially cheaper than, you know, trying to get out on your own, but what it is, is being surrounded by other people who are, uh, who are sober as well. So were the people in your Oxford, how long did you live in an Oxford house for? Four, four years. Four years. Let me tell you why, man, because when I got here, I did not know how to live, right. you know? at all. Um, and I take that seriously. Um, I, my goal was to stay there for a year, six months to get my shit together and six months to keep it together and then see where I was at. Um, at that point, you know, it was a very good house. Um, very good house. I had guys that were surrounded in my immediate network. Um, and we had a really good, healthy house. Um, so there wasn't a reason to move, you know, yeah. The reason to move would have been my ego saying, you're better than this. You can do better. You can do it on your own. Right. But no, I can't. I don't know how to live. Like, I take that seriously. I'm just now learning how to live. I moved out of there in October, um, and I have a beautiful, you know, beautiful home now and live with two other sober guys, man. But I took my time with it. Um, I remember. And I, and I love that you did that. Um, you have your own apartment now, correct? It's a house. It's a house. beautiful, nice ranch-style house. Um in Falls Church, only about a mile away from my other house. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when I came out and visited, you were still living in the in the Oxford house. And yeah, I believe I had a rental car, and we went. I picked you up, and we went and rode around town. Now, yeah. what stood out to me with that particular here's here's the thing: like, you got sober. You're a young person that got sober at, at, at a young age. Anybody to me that gets sober in their twenties falls in the category of like. The, the younger young adult that that actually makes a decision to to get sober and and I and I've seen countless amounts of people that have actually made that decision that my life isn't working for me I'm young I don't know how to live I don't know how to live sober but I'm going to give a give it a shot and you took this thing by the horns like you really really have been so like very serious with your sobriety you you mm -hmm. wear it on your sleeve and you also have a, a a beautiful attitude about life you're a very positive Peter not a negative Nancy. Whenever you and I talk, you always, you, you give me, uh, you know, just pearls of wisdom. Like you basically, your affirmations are, are very contagious. Like I, I see that with you. Like you're a good man. And, and so like, I remember when I came out and we hung out, um, we cruised around town. We went to restaurants. We hung out with other young people. As a matter of fact, some of the people that we hung out with, I think there was one or two of them that I knew from um, the from the younger circles out in California that were from that area that had moved back. So, you know, we, we have a closed-knit community. Like, we, we definitely all vibe together, if you will, right? Mm -hmm. So it was really cool to see the recovery in your area. You would take me to, you know, certain places where you showed me that, Recovery is alive and well in the DMV, you know, yeah. definitely 
in DC, definitely in DC, right? I remember like some really, really good uh, places that we'd go and, and meet up with lots of different people. Definitely in, in, in Virginia, it's strong. Like there is a strong yeah. re uh, community in Virginia. And then Maryland, you know, it goes without saying, like there's a ton of it there. And I met some of the most powerful people in recovery that I've ever in, encountered, you know, that had like compelling stories, just beautiful stories that spoke with conviction. Um, they, they, they were really, really engulfed in, in recovery. And to see, you know, be you being a part of all of this, because you're, you're, you're a lot like me, like uh, we're social butterflies. Like yeah. we get people and, and just hanging out there. I felt like, you know, I could live out here. Like I could actually live out here and feel really comfortable. I got friends like Frankie. I got friends like Joey. Like these are these are some good dudes right here. And to mm. see like recovery on a national level, like I can go to different states. I've made friends with state people in different states, but like when it comes to Virginia or DC, I know I got you, I got Joey, and I got a few other people too that are that are out there. And I, at any given time, I could come out there and we could all hang out um, and just be together as as recovery based people you know and, and so you know i love that about you i love the, the friendship that you have um i do want to talk real quick about you know uh what are you doing now like are you are you still are you part of any organization uh are you working with people that are new to recovery what are you doing now to help others um well, helping others for me, you know, honestly is the key to life. You know, it's my lifeblood. You know, that's the key to life for me is helping others helps myself. Um, I am still part of a rise and flourish, but of course we're not uh, going into schools right now. Um, so I, you know, go back to basics, man. I go to a lot of meetings and I always put myself out there to try and uh, help the new guy. You know, I always have extra, extra literature. Um, I always try to chase that man because uh I can be the light in somebody's darkness and then, you know, they can, uh, they can help me. So it's all, you know, it's just what I do, you know, and that, uh, that is my life purpose, you know, um, it's just to help people, man. You know, if I want to die, my motto mantra, I would say for myself is to be an honest, sober man of good character. So I have to take the actions every day to be an honest, sober man of good character. You know, and I try to fulfill that on a daily basis. Um, and when I die, I want somebody to say that he was an honest, sober man of good character and he helped a lot of people. You know, that will bring me peace. Um, and I think if that happened today, uh, I could fulfill that. And that is an honor. You know, that's that's the true gift, man. Love, I love, and this is all true. I know this about you. You. Practice altruism with no uh, expectations. You're a good man. You're somebody to, to look up to. When I grow up, I want to be like you. Um, I learned a lot from you, Frankie. Believe it. Uh, I, I love our friendship. I, I'm very grateful that uh, we got to have you come out to Peggy's Recovery Corner today. Um, I do look forward to future times of having you on uh, the podcast because I think a lot of people can learn a lot from you. And um, just you keep on being you and never – Never, never wear regular clothes because you, you always got some fancy shirt and and um, and uh, you're just a stand-up guy all around. I love you very much. Thank you for coming out to the show today. Thank you, brother. I love you. What, what's your TikTok name, bro? TikTok, man. It's so funny, man. Because I would uh, I, my my tag is uh at Front Row Frankie. Okay, so yeah. Front Row Frankie. Okay. Um, I'm gonna check I, him. 
He's got some of the most entertaining TikToks. Some are recovery based, some are just funny Frank. <laughs> and then yeah, I mean, we're you know we got a lot of good stuff coming up here in the future. I got my YouTube page now. I got Peggy's Peggy Intervention. That's my TikTok. I got another TikTok too that was like one where I didn't know what I was doing, but now I know what I'm doing. Or I'm starting to learn. I'm learning from guys like you, Frankie. I'm. I'm Dude, you know, it's all. It's about spreading positivity. You know, that's like my purpose. And like, I would do it on my Facebook and my Instagram stories and people are like, dude, you need a TikTok. And I'm like, nah, man. And then I did it and I love it. It's a great creative outlet and it makes people happy, man. You know, it's bringing joy to myself and others, which is, that's what I want to do, you know? So it's cool, man. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I love it. Awesome. All right. Signing out. Thanks for being on the show. I'll talk to you. Love you. <laughs>